0: going to share a uh, memory with you i was uh, coming home from a walk uh, do this pretty routinely on the shunga trail we live right above the creek and uh, one of my favorite sort of exercise things to do this is a few years ago It was a lovely lovely weekend morning the sun was still uh, coming in low through the Trees and I'd had a great walk and I'd seen some different animals and uh, as I was approaching the footbridge that will bring me across the creek back into our neighborhood up the street to our house, uh, I was just talking to the Lord and been a great walk and I asked the Lord, "Would you show me one more nature before I get home? Would you, you know, some element and natures is what our girls when they were little would call anything." Could be a rock, could be an animal, fish, didn't, it didn't matter. Would you show me one more sort of element of your creation uh, before I get home? And so as I approached the footbridge, there are cedar trees on either side of it, north side of the bridge there. And there was a sharp-shinned hawk sitting about 8 to 10 feet above the trail right there. And it stayed there. And as I approached it, it stayed there long enough for me to look at it. The sun was on it. I took pictures of it. And I knew God had answered my prayer. So in the moment, I'm elated. One, I I love seeing the birds. But two, you know, more than that, uh, God had answered my prayer. He didn't have to. Now, guys, many, many mornings, I I go out on my walks, and I don't see anything of a particular interest. I'm always looking for the birds. I've got my binoculars around my neck. Most mornings, I don't. I don't see the sharp-shinned hawk. I've never seen the hawk before or since uh, in those trees. But here's the thing. So not only did God answer a prayer in the moment that was singular that day, but what it did is it formed a memory in my mind. So you know what I often think about when I'm walking home? And I'm going to turn that corner onto that footbridge. I think about that time, which is at least a few years ago, when God answered my prayer and put one of his creatures there for me to see and enjoy. So the incident is one thing. And it has value independent of anything else. That answer, that day, that time, singularly. But, the, but beyond that, it also becomes a memory which has its own value. So I can think back any time I want, as many times as I want, to that one walk when God answered my prayer and put a hawk where I could see it. So it's, for me, it's like a great cup of coffee. It's like a favorite chapter in a book. God did something for me that I remember. And the memory then becomes its own blessing. So before we get going, just pause. No matter how old you are, what, what incident, it could be almost anything. As you look back and you say, God did something for me or God did something for us what what would that be for you i believe there's a place on your study sheet i hope you got one when you came in to record something what kind of memories has god given us he's done something and this could be this could be salvation in christ or it could be something specific you'd needed and asked for but think back what has god done for you that is a memory that you can recall and be blessed by again and again because god acted in the past that's sort of the theme. And that's actually where we're going this morning. We're going to be in Psalm 78 this morning. and memory's a big deal here. And Guy's memory or remembering or being reminded is a big theme in Scripture. It's a big push. And especially in the Old Testament, and that's what Psalm 78 is going to trade on this morning. Uh, this is a song of Asaph. So we know this was written sometime around the same period date King David lived, about 1,000 BC. And so this was a pretty good time in Israel's life. And yet, Asaph is writing a song about being careful in his day, in his cultural moment. And for anyone, of course, who would have read this song later, or remember this is a song. We, we say psalms, but it's just a song that Israel would have sung. And it was this, um, maybe, maybe gentle, but this persistent reminder to remember and that if they didn't remember, they were going to fall down spiritually. They were going to fall down in their relationship with the Lord if they weren't careful to remember some key things. And so that lesson applies to us today as well. You know, one of the things, so God does something for you, does something singular, and you say God answered prayer, that's its own thing. But it gives us a reminder in the future. So if we say, um, it doesn't feel like God's with me in the moment or, or we, we have a need. We don't see God meeting the knowledge of what God has done in the past is the reminder that the God who met us in the past is the same God that we worship today. And he's as capable and able right now in whatever our situation is as he was before. And that's Asaph's lesson to Israel. And what it'll also point out is they failed to remember they failed to remember, and out of that, there's this fallout. So that's where we're going in Psalm 78 this morning. I'd also say this, a couple things. Uh, I usually try and get through this whole song, and we're not going to this morning, and I'm not going to try. So we're going to go through the first eight, it's 72 verses, and we're going to get through the first eight verses. We're going to look very briefly at the verses that follow because they're an example of what he's talking about, and then we're going to go right in to the New Testament, and you'll see why when we get there. Uh, So I'm not doing due diligence, if you will, on the whole song. We're only going to hit part of it and jump out from there. So Asaph's call is not to live in the past. It's not a call to say things were better in the past than they are today. His was a call to remember God's faithfulness in the past as incentive for our faithfulness and confidence in God in the moment and as our refusal... To forget lessons, God means us to always know. Because in the forgetting, that's where our failure comes in. Uh, Also, (laughs) this comes up in spades in Psalm 78. So uh, if you're a a father, I hope that this song is especially convicting, encouraging, challenging for you. As you'll see, If, if you don't know it, you'll see where this goes. But also, if you're a Sunday school teacher or we are brothers and sisters in the faith both to each other and to other people's children are, are are they getting the people around us are they getting the benefit of us bringing up reminders about who God is and what he's done in the past as an encouragement to live life faithfully in the moment so we want to make sure uh, some of this is telling stories are we telling stories about what God has done whether it's a bible story Joan and the whale, whatever. Are we telling the Bible stories? But also, are we telling the stories where God has interacted in space and time, in our life, or in our family's life, or in the life of the church? You know, we're sitting in a building today. Just, this cues my memory. We're sitting in a building today that was given to us. And guys, we'd said for years, if we're ever going to have a church building, God will have to give it to us. And we'd prayed along that line. And then what happened? Uh, some Mac. Someone mentioned this last week. Many of you were here this Sunday morning. This is, I don't know, eight to ten years ago. Uh, we, we, uh, we ran pictures of this building with the Hallelujah Chorus. And because the church didn't know what had happened. We were telling them on that Sunday morning, God gave us a building. We always said that he'd have to do it, and he did. Well, it's that kind of thing that we're reminding ourselves, we're reminding each other God's past actions as a way to remind ourselves in the cultural moment, whatever that is. God that was there then is the God that's here now. And we can count on him as fully, he's as fully trustworthy in the moment as he was before. He's as ready to act on our benefit as he was before. This is Alan Ross's summary of Psalm 78. He says, continuing the tradition of passing instruction from one generation to another, the psalmist rehearses the troubled history of the faith in order to warn the people not to forget the Lord's marvelous works and rebel, as did earlier generations, whom the Lord punished and whose sanctuary at Shiloh he had plundered, but to be faithful to him, worship at his sanctuary in Zion, and follow David, his chosen king. His reference to Shiloh and David were just very cursory. We'll barely touch on those. So he's referencing some things we won't actually get to this morning. So if you've if you got your uh, Bible or your apps, uh, Pew Bible, this is page 488. And uh, this is Psalm 78, the first section. This is a mass skill of Asaph. It probably means it's a song of instruction. We don't, in fact, know precisely what that term means. That's our best guess. This is how he starts out. Give ear... O my people, to my teaching, incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable, I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done." A generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. So when Asaph starts this, this is a little bit like a coach uh, at halftime in the locker room where he claps his hands and he says, guys, listen up. You can't afford to miss what I'm going to say. So he says, lean in. I want, you, I want your ears. I want your full attention to what I'm going to say. You can't afford to miss this. That's how the song starts. Because guys, his whole theme is We forget. And so he, it's like he claps his hands and says, you can't afford to forget, listen to what I'm going to tell you. You got that in verses 4. What is he going to talk to them about? Some of this language can sound a little confusing. He says uh, he's going to talk about um, uh, parables and dark sayings. And so if you hear that and you say, what in the world is he bringing up? The parables are likely teaching by way of analogy And the dark sayings are probably a reference to looking at the way God had negotiated life in the past because we know He's not introducing anything new. If you look at verses three and four, excuse me, He says, Things that we have heard and known. It's not new information. We've heard these things before, we've known them, and our fathers have told us. No new information. Verse four, all about God's past glorious deeds. And his wonders for Israel. So Asaph isn't saying, listen up because I've got something new to tell you. He says, listen up because I'm telling you something you can't afford to forget. That's the point. Look at verses 5 through 8. He says, God entered into a covenant relationship with Israel. He gave them the testimony and his law. And so he's reminding them, you're in this special relationship with God through covenant. He's going back to Sinai. You remember God says, I'm going to make Abraham's heirs here, my covenant people. He does so by covenant at that mountain. And then at verse five, fathers were to teach God's covenant, his laws, and God's past saving acts to their children. So the fathers are to tell their children and those children in their own turn were to grow up and tell them to a future generation the same thing. So they were to pass on that knowledge from one generation to the next. And so the fruit of each generation in turn knowing and keeping, passing on that knowledge, would be verses 7 and 8, they would set their hope on God. So think of it this way. If we fail to communicate who God is and how He's acted in faithfulness in the past, to the next generations the the potential loss is they won't set their hope on god so that the generational challenge or the point of generational faithfulness was we want to be faithful to continue telling the stories that we've heard before because in those stories we're revealing this is who god was this is who god is this is how he's acted in the past this demonstrates his willingness to act on our behalf in the moment as well now this was a warning. You remember when the people come out of the Exodus account and they move into the land of promise and God warns them before they get there, the land is filled with idolatry. you got to remember who got you here, who brought you to this dance. Don't, don't cave. Don't fall into those other idols and the temptations to worship other things around you in the land I'm taking you to. Remember who it was who brought you here and by really by what means he got you to the land of promise. So passing on the knowledge of God would be the key to Israel not forgetting God and His past works, and the fruit of remembering God and His past works would be their obedience to the Lord and therefore their own blessing. So if I remember the past, remember who God is and what He's done, that enjoins faithfulness on me and my own generation, and then that's something I want to pass on to future generations as well. Asaph says, there are lessons and parables if we forget what future generations know, if we don't recall how God has acted in the past, we do so at our peril. Now, if you tell your kids to clean their room and you check with them later and they say, mom or dad, I forgot. And and it kind of goes like this. I've got a lot of things on my plate. I was doing my homework or I was playing with Jimmy or whatever it is. And there's this sort of the thought that Um, I forgot because there's so many things competing in my mind. So many things going on in my thoughts that I forgot one of those things. This is what we do all the time. But that is not the word that's being used here. So if we say don't forget something, we put it on our calendar or whatever, this is the thought of I forgot because I didn't care. I told you, yeah, I'd remember, but I never meant to because it wasn't meaningful. This is I forgot because what you were enjoining on me had no value to me. And so it's not that I sort sort of accidentally passed from mine. It's that I set something aside because I didn't care about it. And that's the warning here. It's not that I'm busy. It's not that I've got a lot going on my plate. It's that I quit valuing God and God's things. And so I set them aside. I didn't pass them on or I didn't pay attention to the value of the gift of knowledge that had been passed on to me. And Asaph is concerned about that. <clears throat> Excuse me. And guys, what do you have throughout the... What's the testimony to mankind, whether it's Israel or not, But Israel occupies so much of the Old Testament? What's, what's the testimony to our faithfulness in the Old Testament? It's not very good, is it? And Asaph knew that in his day. And again, by the way, his day was a high point in Israel's history to be around when David was king was one of the golden moments in Israel's history. He's writing in that time, but he's concerned. Your study sheet has a couple of examples. 2 Chronicles 30 and 2 Chronicles 34. You can read these later, but here's the thing. If you read the law, if you read Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, and then you think that's how Israel lived, wrong, because they didn't. Because Israel never kept the law, ever. So you get to good King Hezekiah... And this is 2 Chronicles 30, and it says they kept Passover. And you say, well, that's what they did every year. And you say, well, no, they hadn't kept Passover for generations. This was this new thing that they returned, and we think the Jews celebrated Passover every year. No, they didn't. They skipped generations at a time. Hezekiah, this was a thing. Or if you go later to 2 Chronicles 34, it's good King Josiah. And he cared about God, and he comes onto the throne, and he looks at the temple, and he says, it's in shambles because nobody cared. So he says, we're going to take care of that. We're going to clean it up, clean it out, rebuild it. And while they're doing so, they find this book, and they bring a book to Josiah, and they say, hey, man, we're not sure, but this is what we found. And (laughs) we think it was the book of Deuteronomy. And they're like, we don't know what this is. Guys, they didn't know that this was part of the law. This was part of the covenant they were under with God. And when Josiah reads it, he says, We are in trouble. Because if it was Deuteronomy, especially the last third or so of the book, it's the blessings and the cursing that was part of God's relationship with them. If you do such and such, you'll be blessed. If you do this, you'll be cursed. So, Asaph's warning makes sense, doesn't it? Because what you see follow in the life of Israel is forgetting, 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 until, of course, they go into Babylonian captivity all the way out. God kicks them out of the land entirely. So this, this is a notable warning for them. It's a notable warning for us as well. I'm going to watch my time this morning. I always have more to say than I have time. That's my trouble. So I'm going to watch and I'll excise some things from this. Let me give you an example though of the, uh, a little bit of the importance of God saying, I want you to rehearse these things. I want you to be a storytelling people so that you don't forget. So in Genesis 18, 9, think of Abraham, the father of faith. God says, I've chosen Abraham that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord. I've chosen Abraham. Why? He is going to give this command of walking before me in righteousness to his children. And it'll pass on. So Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Um, You have more of these on your study sheet than I'm going to go over. Deuteronomy 4.9 says, Take care, keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children. The things that you've known, that I've done, that I've been in relationship with you, make them known to your children, make them known to your grandchildren. Remember, the term remember is used in Deuteronomy 13 times alone because it's its call again, don't forget who God is or how he's acted. Now listen to this from Deuteronomy 6. This is verses 20 through 24. Earlier passage in Deuteronomy is the Shema is, is better known, but this, it's followed by this, when your son asks you in time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? You know, Junior gets some view or he's in synagogue in the morning and hears somebody reading from the book of the law and he says, dad, I have no idea. What are we talking about? Then you shall say to your son, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand the Lord showed signs and wonders great and grievous against Egypt and against Pharaoh and all his household before our eyes. And he brought us out from there that he might bring us in and give us the land that he swore to give to our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes to fear the Lord our God for our good always that he might preserve us alive as we are this day. So the, the law itself was going to elicit these questions from the kids. It's like, you know, why should we do this or why is this important? Why do we go to church? Or why do we go to Sunday school? What's the deal? What's behind all this? And if you look at God's relationship with Israel, you know they've got landmarks in the land of promise. You remember they crossed the Jordan River and what do they do? They put up rocks. So this is a nation with the law. So they've got the written word of God, the recorded history of their people with God. They've got landmarks in the land. Guys, they've got seven annual feasts, four in the spring, three in the fall. This was a people... That that, as God interacted with them, He was trying to make sure there's no way you can forget. And they still forgot because they didn't value it. So this is a people, God is saying all the time, remember, remember, remember. Pass on the knowledge of me, who I am and what I've done so that future generations know they can trust me. That's the thought. Excuse me. Verses 9 through 16 will cover very briefly so he said listen up don't you can't afford to forget and now he's giving them an example of forgetting and what followed. So verse 9 he says the Ephraimites armed with the bow so they were armed for battle they turned back on the day of battle they did not keep God's covenant but they refused to walk according to his law. Guys we don't know what this is. We don't know what incident this is specifically. It's not recorded at least clearly in scripture. But the tribe of Ephraim, which was a big tribe, there was some battle in which they should have joined with their brothers and they refused to. So they didn't act in covenant faithfulness. So verse 11, because they forgot his works and the wonders that he had shown them. So Asaph is saying their lack of faithfulness when they should have engaged in battle was due to forgetting. And then he tells us what they forgot. This is verses 12 and on. In the sight of their fathers, he performed wonders. So he is God. God performed wonders in the land of Egypt, in the fields of Zoan. He divided the sea and he let them pass through it. He made the waters stand like a heap. In the daytime, he led them with a cloud and all the night with a fiery light. He split the rocks in the wilderness. He gave them drink abundantly as from the deep. He made streams come out of the rock and caused waters to flow down like rivers. So Asaph says, in other words, had Ephraim remembered what God had done to bring about deliverance for, remember Israel as slaves, they're impotent against Egypt. Egypt is the power on earth in their day. The Egyptian army is the army on the earth of that day. And this is a group of slaves. They have no power. And Asaph is inferring if Ephraim had remembered, you don't have to be that strong. God will come in just as he did in the Exodus account. God can be counted on to come in and win our battles for us. It was forgetting what God had done in the past that led to their failure in the moment. And this is where I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shift here. So, read the rest of the psalm when you get home, but by my count, and you could count this a little different way, but by my count, there's at least 29 occurrences in which God says, I did this, I did that, either positively for Israel or against the Egyptians for Israel's benefit. At least 29. God did, God did, God did. There's at least 22 separate acts of rebellion and idolatry recorded of Israel in the in the verses that follow as well. So you get this repeating theme by Asaph, God was always at work, always faithful, and this was Israel's typical response, rebellion, unbelief born out of forgetfulness. Now, I want to shift all the way forward to the New Testament. You'll see why in just a second. So in Luke 24, you remember it's post-resurrection, Jesus died, he's risen from the dead, it's that day of resurrection. Guys don't know what is going on. They're not sure what to believe. They've heard some stories, etc. Jesus is walking on a road and he's talking to two friends. And it says, um, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So Moses is, is the law. That's the first five books of the Bible. That's Moses. So he starts at the beginning of the Old Testament and he just takes them through this walk through history in which he says this was always about Christ. So all this stuff, your history, even if you remember it, you may not know its importance because it was always about Christ. You've got the similar theme in John 5, 39, in which Jesus spoke to guys that read their Bible and still missed it. So they read their Bible. So these are the Jewish religious leaders. And Jesus said to them, you search the scriptures because you think in them you have life. You think from God's word, you get life. That's good so far. He said, but it's they that speak of me. So the scriptures you search, you're rejecting me, Jesus says. You're searching the scriptures, but they're actually the testimony to who I am and what I'm doing here. So you can embrace the scriptures and reject me. You've missed the value of the scriptures themselves. So with that in mind... The Old Testament isn't merely a record of Israel's history. It's a tale of how God in Christ, how God in Christ was present and working with the stories and God's provisions ultimately meant to show us God Himself in Christ as we find Him in the New Testament. So this is what I'm going to do. And this is on your study sheet. So here's Psalm 78, and here's the New Testament regarding Jesus, okay? Psalm 78, verse 14, God led them by fire and cloud Verse 52, he led out his people like sheep and guided them in the wilderness like a flock. All the Exodus account. Verses 70 to 72, God chose the shepherd David to shepherd Jacob his people. So what's the image? And and by the way, this is repeated in song after song after song. That God was a shepherd leading his people like a flock. And what do you get with Jesus in the New Testament? This is John 10. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this fold, not Jews. That would be us. That would be the Gentiles, wouldn't it? I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. Who's the one shepherd? It was God in the Old Testament. It's Jesus in the New My sheep hear my voice, I know them, they follow me, and I give them eternal life and they'll never perish and no one can snatch them out of my hand. God the shepherd in Psalm 78 is Jesus in the New Testament. Uh, Verses 15 and 16 in Psalm 78, God gave Israel water from a rock in the desert. Now guys, sometimes you'll hear people say some obscure passage or reference in the Old Testament and they say, that's really Jesus and this is how it connects and you say, I'm connecting the dots. And sometimes you're like... Maybe, you know, maybe not. Something like this, though. Listen to how the New Testament interprets that theme. So God gave Israel water from a rock. They're in the desert, you remember? And they say, we need some fresh water. God gives them a rock. And from the rock, you remember, it's the one Moses struck. This water comes out. Guys, they have fresh running water, abundantly so, for the rest of the duration in the wilderness. This is First Corinthians 10. And this is what Paul, the apostle, wrote of the Exodus generation. He says, they all drank the same spiritual drink for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them and the rock was Christ. I don't know how this works, but there was a rock and it followed them in the wilderness and Paul tells us with no apology and no further explanation, Jesus was the rock. And all that water that gave them life through 40 years in the wilderness, that was all Christ. Christ was the life-giving water in the wilderness. This is John 4. This is the woman at the well with Jesus. Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Again, the image of the rock is it wasn't a, a little trickle. It was a gushing stream that came out of the rock. This is John 7. On the last day of the feast, Jesus stood up, cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Jesus, the rock in the Exodus that pours forth living water, says, I will be in you this spring of living water that never runs dry. You will have so much of this life of Christ, you won't be able to contain it. Just like the waters gushed from the rock in the wilderness, the life of Christ will gush forth in us. The rock of life-giving water in Psalm 78 was in fact God the Son. And He's making a similar promise to us today. It's not a rock in the desert. It's Christ in us by the Spirit. Uh, verse 20 of Psalm 78. Uh, this is a chiding remark, by the way. Uh, God had already given them water. And they, so at this point, they say, neat trick, but what have you done for me lately? You gave us some water, fine and good, but... They said, can God give bread or provide meat for his people in the wilderness? One of the phrases is, can God set a table for us in the wilderness? It was testing God. It was a form of mockery and it was a form of attempt of manipulation. But God sent, you remember what he sent for bread? Sent manna down from heaven every day. And what did he do for meat? Could he give them a table laden with meat? He sure could. He blew in the flocks of quail. They were right above the ground. People ate all the meat they could get. Now I won't go into the rest of the story. You can read that later. This is uh, in the New Testament. Jesus miraculously fed a crowd of over 5,000 and a crowd of over 4,000. Jesus set a table in the wilderness. And what did he set it with? Bread and fish, i.e. meat. Matthew 14 and 15. So God who gave man and meat in Psalm 78 was the same one who gave loaves and fishes in the New Testament. Verse 22 of Psalm 78 says they did not believe in God and did not trust in his saving power. So Asaph and Israel's forebears, it says, God had done all the stuff and they knew it, but they did not believe in God and did not trust his saving power. When Jesus comes to Israel, Asaph and Israel's heirs in his own day, what's the response he gets? John 1, he came to his own and his own received him not. Not. Did he give enough miracles to be believed? Do you remember when John the Baptist is in prison and he sends his messengers to Jesus and they say, hey, John wants to know if you're it. Are you really the Messiah or do we wait for another? And Jesus quotes Isaiah 35. This is what the Messiah would do. He would heal the lame. He'd give sight to the blind. This is it. Here's all the evidence. And yet, John 1 says Christ came to his own and his own received him not. They did not believe. They could have and they should have. In fact, if you think of, I've had this conversation with a friend recently, Jews who read, and I'm not, I'm not uh, this is not anti-Semitic. Jews who read Psalm 78 today and look back at the Exodus have missed everything God meant for them out of Exodus and out of Psalm 78 because it all points to Christ. The whole thing ends up being about Christ. Guys, if we go to Protestant churches today And we don't trust in Christ, we have the same kind of failure that Asaph was warning the Jews of his day about. We're not believing. We're not entrusting ourselves to a trustworthy God. Have we trusted Christ? Uh, Verses uh, 24 and 25 in uh, Psalm 78, He rained down manna to eat. He gave them the grain of heaven. (laughs) I love this imagery. Men ate the bread of angels. That'd be a meal, wouldn't it? Men ate the bread of angels, the grain of heaven. So Jesus also told Israel that He was the true bread from heaven that would give life that never ends. And guys, this is straight out of the Old Testament and the Exodus accounts, John 6. And you remember here, Jesus had fed the 5,000. He's crossed the lake and they're following Him because they want another meal. And He tells them this. He confronts them about this. But He says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, it wasn't Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but My Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is He who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to Me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in Me shall never thirst. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that anyone may eat of it and not die I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. So you got the Exodus account. You got Asaph's reminder. And Jesus comes and fulfills that very notion. Everything was pointing to Christ. I've got a couple other examples on there. I'll let you read later, okay? So, Psalm 78 is written under the old, what we call the Old Testament. It's the old covenant. It's the relationship God formalized with Israel. So they lived under the old covenant. And within that old covenant framework, Asaph is saying, uh, keep covenant faithfulness, look back, remember who it is that established the covenant, gave us the laws, has interacted on our behalf in the past. Remember all those things in the past. Now, we do not live under that covenant, do we? We live under a new covenant. So let me ask you this. Israel's got all these reminders to remember. They've got all these reminders to not forget. So for you and I who live under the new covenant, what are we called to remember? It's only one thing singularly. Only one thing. Luke twenty-two nineteen: 19. He took bread. He'd given thanks. He broke it. He gave it to them saying... This is my body given for you. Do this and remember me. Do this and remember me. First Corinthians 11, Paul following up. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The same way also he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So just as Asaph was calling Israel in his day to go back to the giving of that covenant, that special relationship, the singular thing Christians are called to is to go back to the institution of the covenant you and I live under today. The new covenant, the unconditional covenant. You remember the covenant that was the, we call the law, Galatians talks about this, so does Hebrews, it says do these things and you'll live. If you were in Sunday school, you know all about the, sort of the legal issues here. Do this and you'll live. The problem, no one can do. No one can keep. The new covenant says done and you're forgiven in Christ. It's all been taken care of in Christ. Your sins and your lawless deeds, I will remember no more forever. Not because you kept anything, because Christ did. Then he died for your sins on the cross. He rose for your justification. And guys, that's the singular thing under the new covenant that we're called to remember and not to forget. Our call is to remember God's saving acts in Christ. And think of this. We know this, but I think we forget it. All the saving acts and the laws and the miracles in the Old Testament were always meant to get us to Christ. Christ is the, Paul says, Christ is the end of the law. Christ is the end of the Old Covenant. Christ is the end of the Old Testament. Everything leads to Christ. If we get everything in the Bible and miss Christ, we've missed everything. We've missed the object of everything that we're meant to get. Jesus' death and resurrection is the ultimate act of love. If you feel unloved sometime, what should we remember? Jesus died for me. Jesus died for me. Every time we celebrate the Lord's Supper, which we will do today, we're doing what Jesus said. We're remembering He he was born for us. He lived a righteous life for us. He died on the cross for our sins, and He rose for us. And so whatever the confusion of the moment is, we're called to remember Christ dying and rising for us. It's the singular thing we're called to remember. By his death and resurrection, Jesus has led us out of the slavery of sin and death. Guys, this is a much better thing. If you're a slave, Paul writes about this in 1 Corinthians 7. If you're a slave, he says, don't worry about it. You're a Christian and you're a slave in the Corinthian world. He says, don't worry about it. If you can get free, fine but don't worry about it. Christ has set us free from the slavery of sin and death. This is eternal. This isn't just a bad time in life. This is eternal. Jesus has led us out from under the harsh treatment of the God of this world. First John tells us all the world lies under the power of the evil one into a life of freedom and abundance. That's your experience now, and it only gets better going forward jesus has given himself by his spirit as both bread that nourishes and water that refreshes and sustains us you see christ in his word being both bread and water for the life of the believer jesus the Good shepherd leads his church and his sheep his people faithfully giving us everything we need for life and godliness in his word and we should say getting us safely home you remember he said no one can snatch them out of my hand i'm a good shepherd i'm going to get you safely all the way home Jesus provided in Himself the atonement. That's one of the things Asaph brings up in Psalm 78. We didn't get to for our sins, so that in Christ we have perfect righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. 1 Corinthians 1, the presence of God in the Jewish tabernacle. And this is mind blowing, is it not? Read Ezekiel. Uh, read read uh, what is it? 1 Kings 8, where the Spirit of God comes into the temple that Solomon built. You know, you got this crazy glory; they can't stand in His presence. That presence of God that you see in the Old Testament is the presence of Christ in the church today by the Holy Spirit. Because the church, the called out group of God's people, is the dwelling of God on earth today. What should remembering Christ at the Lord's table do for us? So, if I say, okay, so I remember Jesus in His death and resurrection. We celebrated a church, His death and resurrection. What does that lead me to? Right back at Psalm 78, verse 7 that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep His commandments. Guys, the first commandment that anyone is enjoined is to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved from the penalty to our sins. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Dads and parents, are we telling children the stories we should be communicating generation to generation? The, the, the passages in the Old Testament are almost always to fathers. This is the the responsibility, the key responsibility of parenting lies on fathers. Are we telling those stories? Are we remembering God's goodness to us in redemption so we can trust Him for the challenges each day? And the theme of Psalm 78 is the God who did that is the God who's leading and caring for you today. So for the Jews, the God of the Exodus, He's the God who can take care of you today. We're saying now the God that, that withheld nothing in order to procure our salvation and eternal life that's the god that's leading us today the god that sent jesus to die for your sins he's the god that's caring for you today there's no good thing that he would withhold from those that belong to him through faith in christ that's the bottom line are we holding up the reminders in god's word like a shield against the temptations to indifference and forgetfulness so i pray we are so if you would rise with me And we'll read together from 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 10. Read with me, please. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, He will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it.